Hello, and welcome to the James Sheets Podcast. This podcast features the sermons and preaching messages of James Sheets, who pastored throughout West Virginia for many years. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and leave a five-star review and share a memory of James with us. Let's listen as Pastor James Sheets begins his message. It's good to see all of you this evening. Appreciate your your coming out. We uh, had a good day service this morning and certainly a fine service so far this evening. I'm glad to uh, to get to meet your pastor, Ron. I still think I can call you that, pastor. Not Your wife said that she was part of the has-been, and I'm not sure whether you would uh, go ahead with agree with that or not. Uh, I never met either Ron or his wife, as most of you know, or maybe all of you know, so I called Andy Anderson after he uh, suggested that the church here might want to have me come down as interim to you select a new pastor to ask him just what kind of a couple I would be following here. Now, I, I had never seen either one of these people before. And he said, well, let me just give you one story and then you can make up your own mind. He said that Jackie went to Charleston and... Uh, went in one of those exclusive women's shops and saw a beautiful dress that she just couldn't resist. She knew that she was spending more money than she ought and she probably was going to hear about it when she got home, but she did it anyway. So when she sheepishly showed her new dress to Ron when she got back, she explained her actions by saying, the devil made me do it. And Ron said, well, why didn't you say, get thou behind me, Satan? And she said, I did. And he said, it looks pretty good from back here, too. (laughs) I don't know if that fits them, but I thought it was a pretty good story. Seriously, I do want to say I, I can appreciate Ron from the standpoint of a pastor who needs a pastor. Sometimes we think preachers don't need, any, don't need any preaching. You know, we're supposed to know it all and have it all together and, and have no problems. And, and uh, we've, we've got a direct line, you know, and, and all of that. Don't, don't let that fool you. We're people in need of the, the blessings of the Lord. And we've got to uh, resolve our problems with the Lord. And, and we, we don't have any insight any better than you do. And, and certainly no better road. We're all in the same boat, so be sure that you uh, don't, don't look upon any preacher as, as uh, something fantastic or different than you yourself. We're, we're sinners saved by grace just as, as you. And as a, a one of these people, uh, pastor, I frequently find myself in need of some pastoring. And Ron is going to be filling this type of position to, to people uh, in, in his area of responsibility. I've uh, enjoyed this type of fellowship with, with other people within our convention in years gone by. And uh, I'm sure we'll get in the years to come. And there are times when, when we need this kind of relationship. So he indeed will be a pastor to pastors. A very, very important position. 
in order to make it possible for the pastors of our churches to to even do a better job and and uh, uh, be more spiritual in their own personal relationship to the Lord. So I appreciate what he's going to do, and uh, you're going to have to, Ron, you're going to have to pay attention to road signs when you go out here. Now, I know where Chapmanville is, and I know where Williamson is. And I tell you, you've got to go two different directions. You can't. I know that. You know that. <laughs> well, well, oh, well, I should have thought of that. Anybody can, you know. Sure. Well, I'll tell you what I did to find out where Tanita Baptist Church was. I had seen it. I came over on a Saturday and looked around, and I found it so that I know where to come on Sunday. But uh, enjoyed, uh, certainly enjoyed our fellowship together so far. This evening we're going to turn again to the book of Colossians, the third chapter. And I promise you I'll not be long-winded this evening in order to provide time for the, the business meeting that must follow. Uh, we'll cut it just a bit short, and because of the, the length of service tonight, uh, I'm going to have to cut the sermon short. We are dealing with the overall subject of the standard of living for the Christian. Now, those of you who were here last Sunday night uh, have heard that statement, and I mention it again this morning, that for last Sunday and tonight, and at least a couple of more Sundays, this is going to be the overall Theme. The general gist of what we want to say is going to be on the subject of the standard of living for the Christian. You may recall that I commented last Sunday night on the fact that we all have some standard of living in our lives. Certain level of expectations are exerted upon us by our families, by those of you, and I found out that there are quite a number of you who teach school, you have established a standard of living in your classroom, those things that you will and will not tolerate, and the kids know just about how far they can go with you before they have reached the end of that uh, rope where you're going to pull the reins and say, listen, the standard of living in this classroom is thus and so. New parents are acquainted with the same thing. Our society has the same standards. We can go so far until we have run afoul of the law or of what is expected of us socially within our community. Well, the same thing is true within the kingdom of God. I think sometimes we overlook the fact that there are certain expectations made of us as Christian people. There is a standard by which we should be living. Now, I also comment, and let me reiterate again, that I am not advocating that every person will adhere to the standard of living and do everything exactly as it ought to be done anymore within the church or as, as without, without the church. We're all sinners, and because of that, we're going to fail and falter. We're not going to completely succeed and fully satisfy our Lord's desires. Let's make that very clear, that we are sinners saved by grace, we are not people who have become perfect in our relationships. We saw last week in the first five verses some things that Paul told the church at Colossae that they were positively to, to separate themselves from, even to the point 
of surgically removing, as we could interpret the word mortify in the fifth verse, to absolutely get out of our lives some things. We went over those things and will not rehearse them tonight. Down in the eighth verse is where we want to start this evening. When he says, and I'm going to read a portion here now, if you'll follow along in your book, Colossians chapter 3, beginning at verse 8. But now ye also put off all these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth, lie not one to another, seeing that ye have put off the old man with his deeds, and have put on the new man which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond nor free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercy, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And above all these things put on charity, which is the bond of per perfectness, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which also ye are called in one body, and be ye thankful. We're going to conclude there. Next Sunday night, we want to go right ahead down there. I'd like for you to read during the week the rest of the chapter and the first verse of the fourth chapter, we're going to be dealing next Sunday night with the standard of living within certain relationships, the husband and wife, the parent and the child, the, the uh, servant and, and uh, his master, and those relationships, the standard of livings that we will find here as to what is expected what is required of us. But tonight, let us look at some of these things that, that Paul is talking about. I think we need to know what is expected of us as Christian people and what is expected of us as members of a church. We're not going to be able to deal with all, all things at all. I think one of the things that is certainly very doctrinal within the scriptures that points to us as church members that one thing that is expected of a church member that he is faithful to his church in attendance. This is expected. A standard of living for the member of the church is that he is faithful to the church to which he belongs. Now we could get into the interpretation that faithful and will not do this evening. This isn't a part of the message that I want to preach. But there are certain things that he says that we are positively to put out of our lives, we are to put off. Now, in, in verse 8 is the second series. In verse 5 we have the first series. The first series, in my mind, as I read the scripture, are very, very severe requirements for the Christian that these things positively be not found within the Christian's life. In verse 8, he perhaps is a little bit softer, but he simply says to put certain things off. Put off anger, put off wrath, put off malice, blasphemy, filthy communication, and don't lie. Those seem like such ordinary things that they ought not to be something that we would have to mention. But within the life of a Christian, he says that there ought not to be anger. 
Now the word in the Greek is orge, O-R-G-E, with a long E. It simply means a long-lasting, slow-burning anger. Uh, we're going to get some toughies in here. Uh, can you see yourself in some of these? Uh, he says to put off wrath. Now, wrath simply means temper. The Greek word is thumos. It's sudden anger. That thing that springs up and it's over with in a hurry as opposed to, to the anger itself, which is, is a long-lasting thing. He says to put off malice. This is viciousness. Viciousness. He says to put off, to put off blasphemy. Now, I think we've got to be careful with this word. Blasphemy is insulting. Blasphemy is an insult. We can have blasphemy in two different categories. Number one, we can blaspheme each other. There ought not to be a time in your life or mine when we insult each other. But more important, I believe that he is referring to one's relationship to God in that we do not insult God. And then he says to put out of our mouths filthy communication. If there is anybody who ought to have proper speech, it's not the English teacher, it's the Christian. I taught English for several years. I learned I might as well forget it because it just ain't so. It don't make no difference what you do. Once you get out of the classroom, I did that one time and a very brilliant 10-year-old sitting right down looked up at me and he thought, my, how stupid. That guy doesn't even know how to speak. Uh, I, uh, I had to explain to him. He didn't get the point, and I was really uh, just making a point. Uh, our television is full of filthy language. Now, go out into the community, and you will discover pretty soon, and those of you who are in the school business have already discovered that this is the common language of society. And we're going to have to spend some time with our kids, with our families, and with our church body so that they understand, look, this is not an acceptable standard of speech. Because to do so is to blaspheme the very name of God. It's to degrade the very person of Jesus Christ. It's to dishonor him, and not only him, but every person who claims his name is drunk through the mud and thought to be of little worth or no worth at all when his name has no more value than to be used in filthiness. Obscene language should not cross the lips of any Christian person. To do so is a dishonor to the God that we serve and to the Christ that died on the cross for us. Then he says in the ninth verse that we're not to lie to each other. There was a time 
when one's speech, one's word was his bond. That ought to still be true as far as the Christian is concerned. There ought to be, without question, a relationship from one Christian to another that if it is spoken, it is right, it is true, it will be done. We need not worry about what he's going to do. We don't find that true. But I'm telling you that as Christian people, we need to set the standard of living so that other Christian people understand that we expect a certain level of communication coming out of the mouths of people. We expect his word to be what he says it will be. Then we'll be honest and honorable with each other and honest and honorable with God. I'll spend a lot more time on this, but I, I want to, to finish up in the latter portion of what we read this evening. We have said so far that the Lord is telling us to divest ourselves of certain things, to put off, to take out of, to separate from our lives certain types of relationships that we have delineated here in a few verses. Now, we have become a new man, he says in the 10th verse. A new man. Have you ever known someone who went through a personality change? Honestly, their personality changed. It might have changed for the worse, but it changed, or it may have changed for the better. What I'm suggesting to you is that when you became a Christian and you went under the waters of baptism, such as this little girl did this evening, you're testifying to the world, look, I died, and I am coming forth a new person. A new person is born into the kingdom of God and stands as a witness and testimony for, before the church and before society that here is a new person. A new person has a new personality. A new personality uh, reveals a new pattern of living, a new standard. Those things that once were important are no longer of any value. The way once acted uh, then no longer is, is, the, is the pattern of action. We now pattern our life as Christian people after Jesus Christ. He says in the 10th verse, put on the new man and be renewed in knowledge after the image of him who created him. In whose image were you, were you born? Well, of course, in the image of Jesus Christ. So he says to put on, become a new person with a new personality. In the 12th verse, then he tells us as this new person that we are to respond in certain ways. We're the elect, we're the holy, we're the beloved of God. Therefore, we are to put on, look what he says now, bowels of mercy. We are to put on kindness. We are to put on humbleness of mind. We're to put on meekness, long-suffering. We're to for be forbearing with each other and forgiving each other. Now, some of those things are just a little bit tough to do.
Do you realize that the, the mercy that is shown in this world today had, it begin, had its beginning in Jesus Christ? Why do you think that we are uh, charitable? Where did women get women's rights? You women didn't think that up. Did you know that? Jesus Christ gave you your rights. He recognized you as, as equal. And he came to die on the cross of Calvary for the woman just as much as he did for the man. And there's no distinction in Jesus Christ for, between the sexes. Sometimes we think we have created the world. We've created all the new patterns of living. We've got a new idea. And the women's live movement is as old as, as history itself, I suppose. And it particularly became a reality in Jesus Christ when he gave his life on the cross of Calvary for everybody. So uh, we're, not, uh, we're not saying to, to any particular group of people that, hey, look what we did. We're not saying to, to uh, the blacks, for example, look, we liberated you. To the Jew, look, we uh, don't hold anything against you anymore. To the Irish uh, and to all the other minorities down through the years, that society has suddenly come to, to say, well, you're okay now, you're acceptable. Sure you are, because you were made acceptable in Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary. We're one, we're one body in Jesus Christ because of mercy that he showed and kindness. We don't have an edge on kindness. Remember when Peter cut off the ear of our Lord? And the Lord simply told him, Peter, put away your sword. And he reached down and picked up the ear and put it on the man's head. Reestablished it as if it had never been severed. What would you have done? Probably what I would have done was said to Peter, pretty good, cut the other one off. But our Lord is the epitome of kindness. The kindness that he showed to the woman who stood behind him and the tears ran down her face and dropped on his feet as he sat at meal. And when she suddenly discovered what she'd done, she wiped his feet with her, with her hair. And everybody wanted to get her out of there for she was disturbing the Lord. Remember the kindness that, she, that he showed her? The humbleness of mind, he says, this is humility. This is a virtue that was created by the Lord. People weren't humble until Jesus Christ. And the gentleness, some of the pictures that I view in my mind when I think of gentleness is some great, big, huge man who has the heart of Jesus Christ himself within him. I think of him as being rough, and yet he'll pick up the tenderest of children and love them. 
There was no gentleness unto Jesus Christ. But verse 13 says that he wants us to forbear one another and forgive one another. Dish it out with, without giving it back the way he did on the cross of Calvary. When he, when he prayed from that cross, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they do, was forgiveness to the greatest magnitude. Can we do less? Well, remember, we have put on the new man. We put on Jesus Christ. And he said, forgive. We must forgive. Now, I am confident in your mind that in your minds, of any congregation of this size that you're going to be thinking in the back of your mind, that sounds great, but let me tell you, somebody did something against me and I can't forgive them. Be careful. Be careful. Watch what you do when you pray the model prayer. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. For your forgiveness may not come unless you forgive first. And he concludes by saying to put on charity, put on love. Let love be that bond that makes you what you are, and all that you do, and all that you reveal, and all that you exemplify is tied up in the word love, so that every part of your being will show forth the love of Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross. May I ask you, is your life a revelation of Jesus Christ? As he is the sun, are you the moon? When others see you, do they see the, not you, but the Savior? When others see your testimony in society, do they say, look, if that's what it means to be a Christian, I want to be one. Or do they say, if that's what a Christian is, I don't want to have anything to do with it. What is our testimony? And I'm saying that our testimony will be in direct relationship to the standard of living that we have established. And how closely we follow the standard of living that the Lord Jesus Christ gave us in his life. It is not an easy thing to be a Christian. It is something that we must work at from day to day. Let me leave this one question with you. When it comes to the way you live, well, let me ask you two questions. Don't forget these questions. Write them down. Memorize them. Do whatever you can. The questions are this, can you do what you do in Jesus' name? The second question is, can you say what you say in Jesus' name? We can tie our way of living to these two, to these two questions. And they become the, the standard for us to look up to and strive for so that wherever we go and whatever we do, 
We can do it in Jesus' name. You know, there are simple things. Some of the language that you use, could you add on to the end of it in Jesus' name? Some of the places that you might go, would you take the Lord with you? Some of the thoughts that you might have, would you be comfortable in sharing those with Jesus Christ? Some of the television programs that you watch, would you invite the Lord to sit down with you and watch them? You see how close it comes to me right where we live. standard of living for the Christian. Shall we pray? Our Father and our God, we have attempted this evening to simply look at your word in relationship to some very practical things about what our life ought to be. How we ought to separate from ourselves certain relationships and certain patterns of living and how we ought to make our lives a certain pattern of living. We would be more like the Master. So help us, saints, one, as we meditate on these words to, to respond to you as your Holy Spirit deals with us. We ask in Christ's name. Thank you for listening to today's message. If you like what you hear, hit the subscribe button. You'll receive automatic notifications and downloads when a new message is added to the podcast. Also, please leave a five-star review and take the opportunity to share stories, memories, and appreciation for James Sheets and how God used him to impact your life. If you'd like to know why and how this podcast got started, check out our first episode. Lastly, if you want to donate to help offset the cost of operating this podcast, you'll find a link to our PayPal account in the podcast description. Thank you for listening, and remember to try Trust in God for today and for all of your tomorrows.